0: Let us hear God's breathed out word to us. And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil. Who tear the skin off from my people and their flesh from off their bones. Who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them. And break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. And they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry, Peace! When they have something to eat? But declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob, the rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity, Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins. And the mountain of the house a wooded height. Thus far, at this time, the reading of God's word. Let's again, bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank you for another beautiful weekend that you have given us. And we thank you for this Sabbath day that we have the opportunity and the privilege to come and worship you. And dear Lord, we just ask that you guide Pastor Bob and with your message and open our hearts and our minds as a congregation and learn how we can apply this to our lives and live for you more. Dear Lord, we just thank you for all the blessings you have given us this we ask in your name. Amen. And amen. Going to divide our message into two parts this morning. First of all, the charge. That's what chapter 3 is about. It's about God coming again as the prosecutor of His people. He's coming to analyze their lives, their, their work, their actions, their deeds, and to Bring it into judgment based upon the covenant that he has established with them as his people. So, first of all, the charge. Secondly, when we get into chapter 4, we'll deal with the promise that God makes. As I have often indicated, our chapter and verse um, headings and uh Delineation in this way, our our, our English system—it's it, our way of being able to easily find a passage or a selection. This is not the way they are divided in in the Hebrew, as far as they came to us in that regard. So, and and many commentators will actually say that chapter three and the first part of chapter four actually belong together as the unit. As we found in chapters 1 and 2, God comes in judgment, but he also came with promise. And so we see this repeated again here. Chapter 3, God comes in judgment with the charge against his people. And then in chapter 4, at least in the first part, he's going to come with his grace, with his promise, and with hope for his people as well. First of all, the charge. And we have to deal then with the sin That is being indicated that chapter 3 is bringing out to us. But in order to understand why chapter 3 and why the sin that God is going to deal with here in this chapter is is of such importance to the Lord. We actually have to go back to chapter 2 verses 12 and 13 where we ended last Lord's Day morning. Where God talks about bringing together his people. And, and listen to the compassion, listen to the love of the Lord here. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like, the, like a flock in its pasture. A noisy multitude of men. It's that picture of, of God as the shepherd and all that imagery that we spoke of last Sunday morning that come to us not only out of the Psalms, but come to us uh, out of John chapter 10, where Jesus speaks of himself as the one who is the good shepherd, who lays down his life for the sheep. So the backdrop of chapter 3 is this compassion and love of God for his people. So when we get into chapter 3, the sin he is dealing with is especially heinous to God, Because it is being done to his people. It is being done to those he loves. It is being done to those he cares for. It is being done to those that he has entered into this covenant relationship with. They are his sheep. He sees them in relationship, not just to this moment of Old Testament time, but to this moment of time in the sending forth of his son as the good shepherd in this for looking into the time of the restoration of the kingdom he sees his people and what is the sin that is being committed against them well god describes it here as being they hate good and love evil but that's sort of the overarching thing his people are dwelling within a nation In which those who are in leadership are those who hate the good and they love the evil. But then the Lord hones in on the particular sin that is being committed. And it is the sin of injustice. It is the sin of perverting justice. See, that's what the covenant That God established with his people back at Sinai and is repeated then at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. Continues to place before them that they are to be a just people. They are to treat one another justly. They are to treat one another fairly. They are to love their neighbor as they love themselves. Now, this issue of justice is not only a concern for the Lord because of his people, but this is the very nature of God. God is just. This is one of his attributes. So, when injustice occurs, this, of course, angers the Lord. Because it goes against his own being and it goes against his own character. So, it is the sin of perverting justice. It is the sin of those who are responsible within the nation of Judah to make sure that justice is carried out. They are looking the other way. They are making sure instead that justice occurs. Instead of that, they are making sure That injustice occurs because they hate the good, they hate justice, and they love the evil, which is the injustice. Who are the guilty? Well, go with me to verse 11. We we could break it down into the various places, but verse 11 gives a good summary. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. It's priests teach for a price. It's prophets practice divination for money. These are the guilty. This is who Micah is commissioned by the Lord to go to the people and say, this is what is happening. The government has become unjust. From the judges to the priests to the prophets. All are involved. Now, those three do not correspond to our executive, legislative, and judicial branch. I mean, there isn't a one-to-one correspondence here. But I I think it kind of gives us a thought that no matter where the people of Judah turned, they could find no justice. If they thought a judge was being unfair in their case, they couldn't go to the priest. The priest was taking a bribe as well. They couldn't go to the prophet to rise up and stand in condemnation. He too was on the take. We live in this land of these three branches. And we have this concept within our constitution of the balance of powers. There is supposed to be a check and a balance so that not one of the branches can ever, in some way, gain more power for itself than it ought to. But we certainly can see the danger, and we have lived through the danger, of what happens when all three branches of that government become corrupt. When all three branches are no longer there for the justice of God's people. They're not even there for the justice of the citizens of their nation. I can give you one example. The date is 1973. The beginning of abortion in this nation. All three branches are in cahoots. Nobody is standing up. Everybody's shifting the blame. And perhaps the the greatest injustice that has occurred in this nation and continues to occur. Even greater than the injustice of slavery. Is precisely because of what is happening here. Everybody's on the tape. Everybody's profiting. Nobody really cares about the injustice. Now, maybe you've had a personal experience with injustice. Maybe you've been to a, a court system and, and you, you just walk out of it shaking your heads going, I don't understand how this happens in the United States and America. Maybe you've written a letter to a legislator at one time or another because of an issue uh, that involved your business or you personally or your community, and it was just brushed off, and then later you find out, well, yeah, they're getting money for their campaign from the other side. No wonder they're not concerned about the issue. Well, at least you have something you can do about some of that that occurs Tuesday. So I would urge you to to get out there and to make use of your right as a citizen to express that. These people of Micah 2 don't get to go to the polls. They, They don't get to have a primary. They don't get to have an election. This is just the way it is. It's established. King is going to follow king. Priest is going to follow priest. The prophets are going to follow prophets. This is just the way it is. And there's nothing that can be done. And in that situation, injustice is occurring. Look at the way in which God describes this. Look at the language. Verse 2. They tear the skin off my people. Their flesh from off their bones. Now they're not literally doing that. Okay? They're not eating the flesh of my people. These people haven't become cannibals. They flay their skin from off them, break their bones, chop them up. I think this is the for meat in the pot. I, I think this is where our expression comes from. Where we say, what am I, just chop liver to you? I think this is actually where it comes from. They didn't care about anybody. And he's using this word, pictures... For us to understand how drastic the situation is. This is what it's like. This is what is happening to the citizens of Judah. Under these judges, priests, and prophets. It is certainly God being truthful to us. In describing the horrific nature of what is happening. And this all you see. For money. This all for the bribe. This all for a price. This all for money. That's what it's all about. Lining their own pockets for the side that can pay them the most. And of course, that is often the rich and the poor. The lowly, the downtrodden, have no justice. Perhaps another way to describe it is this, they're adding field unto field. It's the case, for example, of an Ahab who's taking a a Naboth's vineyard. With a perverted sense of justice, you have the king and the judges in cahoots with one another. This is the way life is and God is coming in Micah chapter 3. He is not only calling attention to it, he is calling attention to those who are involved and he is bringing his judgment, his punishment. And the punishment that is described for us in Micah chapter 3 is twofold. One, it's personal. In other words, personal to the judges, to the priests and the prophets. He describes it as there will be no answer from God. He will hide his face. There will be no word from him. There will be shame and disgrace. God is coming to vindicate the oppressed. The hymn we just sang from Psalm 68. God is coming. God the just is coming. And the punishment for the individuals who are involved in this sin... is entirely opposite of the blessing that the priest would give. It is the curses that are being brought down upon them. God is going to no longer listen. They're going to cry out. They are going to pray. But God will not listen. See, it's a fallacy that exist in this world, that God hears every prayer. No, we're told here, He doesn't listen. When our lives are lived in such a way that injustice is being practiced, God isn't listening to prayer. Oh Lord, bless me. Bless what? Your injustice? No, I'm not going to do that. I will not bless that which is sinful. I don't even hear it. Turn your face towards us. God says, no, I'm going to hide my face from you. My blessings will not rest on you. There will be no word to you. There will be no oracle. The heavens are going to be like steel. Shut. Closed. and You'll go about in shame and disgrace. That's for those involved. But there's also a sin for the nation. Because you see, there are those who are doing the bribing. There are those who are paying the price in order to have injustice done. So the nation is going to suffer as well. Pick it up with me if you would. At the end of chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, because of you, Zion... Shall be plowed as a field. Remember where we were last week? okay? We we were talking about Zion and God's love of Zion. And God's care of Zion. This is Jerusalem, the city of God, the citadel. What's going to happen to this most precious place? Zion is going to be plowed. In other words, there's going to be nothing there but a field. That which the psalmist speaks of as being so beautiful and so glorious, the city of God. There's going to be nothing left. Jerusalem, we are told, shall become a heap of ruins. Just a bunch of rocks. The mountains Of the house, and that refers to the temple, the mountain upon which the temple is built. See, it's not only Zion, the entirety and as it were of the mountain. It's not only the city, but it's even the place where the temple stood. What's it going to be? A wooded height. One of the other translations uses the term, it's going to become an overgrown thicket. You've all traveled to one of those places, right? You've seen it. You've, you've gone past a place on your travels, and, and you've seen a place that used to be beautiful, used to be wonderful, okay, and now it's got trees growing out of the windows, okay? You know, the roof is all in decay because trees have pushed. There's these, these bramble bushes everywhere around it. That's what God is saying is going to happen, even to the temple. This is the judgment. The Babylonian captivity of 586 fulfills these words. When those people come back from the 70 years in Babylon, what do they find? They find Zion plowed. They find Jerusalem in rubble. They find the thicket surrounding even the temple. God fulfills this word of judgment upon his people. They have broken covenant. And God is enacting the terms of the covenant that they agreed to. That they promised they would follow. Now that they have broken covenant in particular in regards to their treatment of the poor and of the oppressed. God is coming in judgment. Not only for those involved, those responsible, those who should be the enactors of justice. But also upon the entire nation. But now I invite you to pick up chapter 4. Because here comes the promise. See where we leave Zion and Jerusalem in chapter 3, verse 12? Got its condition? Got a view? God gave this word to Micah so that people could think about this. They could see it in their eye. Remember, this was a vision of the Lord. That's the way this all begins. He wants them to picture it. Think of what this looks like. Because they'd look out and say, Oh, Zion looks great. Jerusalem, man, strong, fortified. Look at that beautiful temple there. Now, I want you to see it in a different light. Chapter 4. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many people, and shall decide for strong nations far away, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit, Every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. The peoples walk each in the name of their God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away. And those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. See the promise? This is the way it's going to end. I'm going to come in judgment. Zion, Jerusalem, and the temple are going to be destroyed. But in the latter times, the phrase that the prophets used to describe the time of the coming of Christ. The mountain of the Lord. The mountain of the Lord shall be erected. Isaiah, who I told you last week, is is a contemporary of Micah. If you read chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, it's almost verbatim that these words are repeated. This became the cry of God's true prophets. Yes, God is coming in judgment, but God is also coming in promise. There shall come a time when the mountain of the Lord shall be raised up. Now who is that? What does that refer to? Well, the mountain of the Lord does not refer to the physical mountain of Zion. We are not referencing the physical structure of a city of Jerusalem, nor are we referencing a physical temple. We are in reference to Christ. Later on, while they are in captivity, a prophet by the name of Daniel is going to be summoned into the court. Of Nebuchadnezzar one day. Nebuchadnezzar who has had a troubling dream. A dream of a great image. Gold and silver and so on. You remember it. okay? And then there is this stone. Cut out. That comes and destroys. That image. And then Daniel says. What you saw O king. Became a great mountain. Is the rock? Who's the stone? Who's the great mountain? This is Christ's kingdom. See, this is what Micah is now prophesying. He's saying, Yes, God is coming in judgment, but I give you this promise God is going to come in His Son, in Christ, in the mountain, in the rock, and He will establish a kingdom. A kingdom in which he shall rule. God's word, God's law shall go forth from this kingdom. True justice will occur in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. See, my friends, you and I are a part of that kingdom. Oh, it's still imperfect. Because we still live in this world of sin. There are still injustices that occur. But the one who is our prophet, priest, and king is the one who rules in true justice. In the kingdom of Jesus Christ, he can't be bribed. He can't be bought. He can't be paid off. In the kingdom of Christ is where there is true justice, where the law of love reigns. Where holiness and righteousness are upheld. Where every plea is heard. Where every wrong is going to be set right. Where every evildoer will be punished justly and every righteous will be lifted up. This is the great promise Micah brings. It's like he's saying, oh people, oh people, there is coming a day. There's coming a day when the Lord will rule, will reign in His kingdom. There's a third thing I want you to note that this is a reference not only to Christ's kingdom, it's a reference not only to Christ's rule, but it's also a reference to Christ's gathering. Notice the emphasis on the nations, on the nations, on the peoples flowing. This is what happens in the kingdom of God of Christ. It transcends all languages. It transcends all nations, all tribes. It is the picture we have before us in revelation of that great throng of worshipers gathered before the throne of God. It is that picture of that first Pentecost when men from all over the world came under the saving power of the Holy Spirit. It is that picture of the Gentiles being brought into the kingdom. It is that picture that is being fulfilled before our very eyes, even today. For there are very few of us who are Jewish. This morning, after our fellowship time, we're going to hear about the Lord, how the Lord is gathering more, how Christ in his kingdom is gathering more. Jesus told his disciples, you are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hid. That's right. The kingdom of Christ cannot be hidden. That's why there is so much anger. That's why there is so much hostility, because the kingdom of Christ is clearly seen. It is clearly visible, and the forces of Satan rise up against it. But There is coming a day, you see, when the final proclamation of the king shall come, and the blessings of that kingdom shall abound. Did you hear them? Did you hear them here? Verse 3, chapter 4. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. A picture of peace. This is what is found in the mountain of the Lord, in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. No more tribal warfare. No more national warfare. No more personal warfare. Peace. Perfect peace. The kingdom of Christ. Verses 4 and 5. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts is spoken. For the people walk each in the name of its God. But we walk. We live. We, find we live and move and have our being. All that we need we find in Christ. There will be a place of perfect contentment. No more desires of this world. No more needs. No more tears. No more suffering. All, all find its completion in Christ. Continuing on, verse 6. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. The lame I make into a remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation. God has chosen the foolish of this world to shame the wise. The laughter, the ridicule, the persecution. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and perhaps even some of us, have endured that injustice will be no more. This is the place of hope. When Jesus came and preached his first sermon in Nazareth, well, what did he refer to? He refers back to Isaiah and the fulfillment of a passage in Isaiah, which was what? The lame shall walk and the blind shall see. And Christ goes out and performs these miracles. Is it for the sake of the miracle? No. It's to show us that God takes the outcast of this world. And it is those through his grace... It is sinners, such as you and I, that Christ redeems, makes whole in his kingdom. Hope. See, the kingdom of Christ is a picture of peace. It's a picture of full contentment. It's a picture of hope. It's a picture of That will last for all of eternity. Verse 7. The Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion. It's It's not that spot in Jerusalem. In Israel. That's the heavenly Jerusalem. We are told there is no temple there. Why? Because Christ, the Lord God, are its temple. Forever. Not just while you have a good king for a period of time. Not just while you you got a president for four years. Not while you just got this senator for a few years. Or this representative for a few years. And hope kind of springs up again. Folks, this is for all of eternity. And it is sovereign. Verse 8. Tower of the flock. Hill of the daughter of Zion. Former dominion shall come. Kingship. Kingship. Sovereignty. The rule of Christ shall never be challenged. of that kingdom? Which side of these two do you fall on? Have you heard the gathering call of Christ? Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is the Spirit Tugged at your heart, convicted you of the fact that you are a sinner, and that your only hope of salvation is to be found in Christ and in Christ alone. If you can say, Yes, 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 that's what the Lord has done, the Lord has worked grace. And my word to you is this. See the kingdom that Christ bestows. For your part of that kingdom, tasty, but a bit of it now, someday the full course is set before us in all of its beauty and perfection. And God's people say,